Colossians 2, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built upon him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Galatians three twenty six to 29 For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you very much, Daniel. New Life Church, I've set a significant challenge for us all today. We are looking at Christ's triumph over misogyny and misandry. I'm very aware of the need to tread carefully here. I got no doubt at all that every female in this room has experienced the sin of misogyny in one way or another. And I'm yet to meet a man who has not sinned against females. And of course I include myself in that number. But today I want us to ask God to cleanse us of misogyny and misandry. To expose it in our thoughts and our behaviour. To lead us to repent and to cleanse our generational line. So that new life will become a sanctuary from strife. Right now I invite you to breathe out a prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring us into the fullness of Christ's triumph 
over the principality that drives misogyny. And in the authority of Christ, I bind and silence and command witchcraft off people's eyes and ears and bodies in the name of Christ. Right now, God is cleansing, refining and preparing us. God is revealing sin, iniquity and transgression in our lives to bring us to repentance. God is drawing us into his refining fire, his purifying fire. That's the goal. It's to purify. It's to refine us. God's training us to function as a company of his priests in this region. In the Bible, God's priests were to be people who see God and then come from his presence. They, I've said this before and I will say it again just to clarify. When we talk about priests, we're not talking about men or women in funny clothes. We're talking about humans who have access to the very presence of God, go in and behold God and come out from the presence and reveal him to the world around. That is biblical priesthood. It's something that we do 24 days a week. Thank you. It's good, I've still got you with me. Well, we do it all the time except when we're asleep. We'll we'll put it that way. So, this is what God chose Israel to be. Now, we're going to look at that. When When we come to Pentecost, Pentecost is not Acts 2. Pentecost is Exodus 19. Acts 2 is Pentecost's stage 2. Never forget that. Those two things are inextricably linked in the mind and the purposes of God. When God set apart Israel in Exodus 19, they were his precious possession. They were his priesthood. They were to be a priestly people to display him to the nations all around about them. They were meant to show all the other lesser gods who the true God is. They They were this holy set apart people who were meant to live in the light of God and the light of God's truth and reveal the wonder and the mystery of that, the beauty of that, so the other nations would look at Israel and say, I want their God. People, that is who God is forming us to be. That is his plan through for every local congregation to demonstrate his light, his truth, his beauty, so that the people around about us will go, I want the God that they've got because they see the fruit of it. This is about being a people who function in our identity as sons of God. And when the Bible uses the term sons of God, it's speaking of identity and inheritance. It's not speaking of gender. So ladies, please don't think you're, you're excused or you don't, you don't get that because you, you're not a male. 
It's not about that. Sons of God in the Bible is about identity and inheritance. You're going to see that a bit more clearly when we get to Galatians 3 a little later on in today's teaching. That's who we're called to be. Every person today who gives their love and loyalty to Jesus, who is the Messiah and the Lord, they get included in this company. If you've given your life, you've given your allegiance, your loyalty, your love and obedience to Jesus Christ, you're in this great company of global priests that God's raising up. Amen. We are people in Christ. We are no longer captive to the evil powers and the principalities ruling this region. And that ought to be clear both to the powers and the principalities and to everyone around about us. It's like we're a different breed of human. Be careful what you think about that. We're humans, but there's a difference because we're in Christ. This is what's supposed to be. We're meant to be people who, who know and who use the authority that we have received from the Lord Jesus Christ. We exercise the authority we have from God over our own lives, in our family contexts, in our workplaces, so much as we're able to. We live in that place because we understand that we are people who... We are under the authority of God and because we're submitted to God, we have capacity to exercise his authority. We do not have capacity to exercise the authority of God if we are not submitted to God. Always we begin with submission to God. We are meant to be people whose lives reveal ultimate reality to a culture that is obsessed and possessed by the temporary and the trivial. That's what it means to be God's people. That we, because we have access to ultimate reality in him. So we are, we are free from the trivial things that the rest of our culture engages with. We, we, aren't, we aren't to be controlled by these things because we know what's ultimate. We know what's eternal. And that's what we're going after. Now, I'm not saying give up your day job and stop earning money. I'm not talking about that. But it's, it's, it's being understanding that that is unto something eternal because I've, I'm in the reality of Christ, which is an ultimate reality. I just love the fact that God is forming us to be a group of priests like this. Look around the room. Go on, look around the room. We're all included in this if we're in Christ, right? It's for all of us. It's not just for some of us. It's important that we break the lie of that. This is for all of us. It is for our children. It is for our grandchildren, if and when we have them. I'm in that category. I know I don't look that old, but that's okay. <laughs> and so it's saying, yes, God, 
yes, God, I, want, I, I don't just want to know about this. God, I want to walk in it. I want to live in the reality of this. And I want to stir you up for that this morning. Say, keep cooperating with the process, God's process to cleanse and to purify and refine you. And it's hot. It's a hot process. It's fire. Yeah, it's fire. It's fire from higher. Oh, we want to be people that live. I, we want to be people, and God wants us to be people who know and experience Christ's triumph over all the spiritual rulers and authority, and specifically the reality that Christ has triumphed over the evil prince behind misogyny and misandry. So that we can be cleansed of those things. We want to ask God to expose it in our thoughts and our behaviour. I want to encourage you, even as you're listening to me this morning, ask Jesus to lead you to repent and to cleanse your generational line of these sins. That your household would be a sanctuary from strife. And that we as a people would be a sanctuary from the strife of this for all generations. I want to touch on the divine council again just to refresh what we've been learning, how the Bible records, how the earth went from being good. So the next slide, thanks. Earth went from being good and functional to being corrupt. So Genesis 1 and 2, the earth is good, very good, functional. Genesis 3, also it's going to pear shape. And so we've been teaching, and this was a few weeks ago. If you missed it, you can find it on our web stream. God created a divine council right from the beginning. This is how we set up how everything is going to function. A divine council of powerful but lesser divine beings to work with him to govern the earth. It's really interesting. One of the great things about God, God doesn't need any help. Never has, never will do. He doesn't need anything from any of us. But he chooses. So he created lesser gods who would help him govern the earth. He created humans in his own image to help him govern the earth. That's the how, that's all, he doesn't need us, but he wants this. This is great, this is glorious, this is actually love. So in those divine beings that he had created to help him govern the earth, that are lesser than him, and remember they are created, they are not, they are not the same as God, some of them rebelled, which corrupted the heavens, which led to the corruption of the earth. So the Bible tells us there are three rebellions. That'll be on this next slide. Three rebellions, Genesis 3, Genesis 6, and Genesis 11. And these, these three rebellions help us understand and explain how the world became so corrupt. Again, just a brief summary of each of these. Genesis 3. One of the rebellious members of the divine council comes into the garden in Eden and seduces Adam and Eve and they rebel against God and death enters the earth. Again, notice that we're told the nature of that divine being and they're described as a serpent. They're not named a serpent. They've got a serpent nature. They're a deceiver and a seducer. Genesis 6 at the very beginning, we read in that chapter that divine beings, these lesser Elohim, 
transgress God's boundary between heaven and earth and they have sex with women and produce superhumans. And if you think that's a bit far-fetched, how do you, and without being, I want to be really careful, but if you, if you struggle to connect with that, think about how God became a man through the birth of a virgin. That is a mystery as well. They're not the same. They're very different. But if you struggle with one, you're probably going to struggle with the other one. So what we know, the text just tells us that these divine beings, they came to earth, they had sex with women, they produced offspring that became superhumans. And those beings also began to teach humans knowledge God had forbidden us to know. Remember in the garden, Genesis 3, there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that we were never to eat from. God is speaking to us. He's, there, was, there was knowledge that we were not to know. Have you ever thought about the fact that God didn't want you to know good? I'm sure you're all on board with the fact that God didn't want you to know evil. But it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We weren't supposed to eat from that tree because what we were supposed to do was know God. We're created to know God. When we know God, we will know what's, what to do and what not to do. You see, the tree of life is what we're meant to eat from. We're supposed to know God. So these, these divine beings teach knowledge that God has forbidden, such as how to kill ourselves more efficiently, weapons, warfare. They teach us lust and seduction. They teach us astrology, witchcraft and sorcery, all things forbidden. They teach divination, which is how to contact other rebellious spirits in the heavenly porthole. All of these things were forbidden knowledge for us. These lesser Elohim, lesser gods, teaches these things because they understand that we are created to be images. And they want us to bear their image, not Yahweh's image. And they know that God has set his affection on humanity and they hate what God hates. So the sooner they can wipe out the lot of us, the better. Genesis 11. What's going on at Babel? Humans, trained by other Nephilim with forbidden knowledge, build a tower to access spiritual power. That's what they're doing. Want to make their name great. They're actually wanting to create a tower that will give them a portal to spiritual power. Now, if you're paying attention, you know that you hear this language all around about us today. All sorts of things. Do this. You'll, you'll access spiritual power. But it's not God's power. And what does God do? Genesis 11, God visits and gives them multiple languages which confuse their communication and halt the entire project. He comes down and confuses them. Those three rebellions 
are the worldview of first century Jews. And they, that's the backdrop, that's the influence that the apostles have when they write the scriptures. And this next slide shows us from Colossians 3. This is, the, this is what they under, the apostles understood and we need to understand. This is what Christ was undoing in his crucifixion and resurrection and ascension. He was triumphing over the evil powers and principalities. It was a declaration that the end of evil had begun. That's great news, everybody. The end of evil has begun. And so when we read the New Testament, we see that that is men and women living boldless, boldly, fearlessly and courageously, which is what you do when you know the end of evil is coming. Oh, come on. We can get better than that. We can get better than that because that's meant to be us. This is not just for the first apostles. This is for us. Say, Holy Spirit, put that reality in my spirit. That the end of evil is coming. So that I will begin to live fearlessly. I will begin to live boldly. I will begin to live courageously. Completely unafraid. We talked, we, I yelled out last week, John eleven twenty five. Who remembers what that is? And the life. He who lives in me, though he dies, he will never live. He will never, though he dies, he will live forever. Yeah. Look it up. Can't edit that out of the web stream. It's there for all time. But when you, when you know, see, my life doesn't belong to me. My life is in his hands. And if you're human... Under God's authority takes it from me because my time has come. I haven't died because I'm living forever. You will be sad. You will grieve. Because that's what we do. But it's like, it's also rejoicing. This is what, yeah, Paul's declaration in Colossians 2, 13 to 15 is. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. You were dead. You were already dead. Then God made you alive. Wow. You were dead. Now then God made you alive. With Christ, he forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. This is the great mystery, the majesty we will be peering into for all eternity. That what looks like absolute weakness, brokenness, a naked man flogged and beaten to death hanging on a cross, that's actually God's way of triumphing over all the powers and the principalities. No one would ever see that coming and they didn't see it coming and many people still don't. So the church is meant to demonstrate Christ's triumph over the powers. We're God's holy people. We are his royal priesthood. We demonstrate to the powers and the culture that Christ has triumphed. Because people who are unsubmitted to Christ are still in captivity. 
They need people like you to come into their lives and you already got people. You don't need to go find anyone new. You already got people who are, who are trapped, who are still dead in their sins, as Paul says in Colossians. They're dead. They need to know that they can become alive, that they can be set free in Christ. You can read all about that again in Ephesians 2. There is a rebellious principality over our nation. And one of the things that that power incites is the sins of misogyny and misandry. Misogyny is hatred of females. And women and girls experience it in many ways. Some of those ways include demanding Submission and compliance. It's all forms of contempt and control and ridicule and belittling and mocking and more. Miss Andrew is similar hatred of males. The principality driving misogyny is devoted to destroying the worth of females as God's images. As I said, it includes all forms of physical, emotional, verbal and sexual abuse, including rape, incest and new things like sexting. Misogyny drives the objectification of a woman's body through pornography, prostitution, sex trafficking, things like fans only, all forms of seduction. Misogyny drives all sexual activity that God has forbidden. It stimulates our obsession with body image, physical appearance, cosmetic surgery and tattoos because misogyny is about destroying the worth of females it lurks behind eating disorders and convincing females that they've been born in the wrong body misogyny corrupts degrades and warps both men and women And a woman can hate other females and even herself. So it's not just a male-female thing. It can be female to female. And it can be internal hatred. Misogyny begins in the mind and progresses to behaviour. This is the unpacking of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 where he speaks about lust and anger. If you're not familiar with those things, um, he's speaking about adultery and, and murder. Matthew 5 said, Adultery begins in the mind with lust, lustful thoughts that lead to the act. Murder begins with anger in the mind that, if left unchecked, expresses itself in murder. Murder. 
to counteract misogyny, people without God developed a system we call feminism. I want to say that feminism is not God's answer to misogyny. Feminism is a counterfeit alternative rooted in hatred of males. It just further incites the whole cycle. We're the people of God. We belong to Christ. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We have some great news for the world. Let it permeate us first and that we become sanctuary from strife. And the message we carry is that God created humans as males and females to partner with him and each other to spread Eden across the whole earth. That plan was corrupted by God's enemies and human rebellion. But in Christ, God is restoring his plan. And as I said before, the end of evil is certain. And God has called us out of the corrupt culture into his family. And in God's family, there's no misogyny. And if it's there, we need to root it out. This is what Paul is talking about when he's speaking in, in places like Galatians three twenty six to 29, which is on the screen behind me. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is one of the ultimate realities the church is to be displaying. We touch the ultimate reality of God. We are, we are not distracted by the trivial. We are focused on the ultimate reality of manifesting this new family of God in our midst. We are to display this ultimate reality, as I said, to the powers and the principalities, as Paul put in one of his other letters to the churches, and we are meant to display it to the people around about us that we are his royal priesthood, his holy nation, we're his family, and in Christ Jesus we're all sons of God. We all have identity and inheritance because we are in Christ. We've all been, when we've been immersed into Christ, think of that. Think of baptism. Baptism as that complete immersion. This is where we do it. Many of you have seen it down at South Beach. So the person is fully immersed under the water. This is the image that Paul has when he says of being baptized into Christ. Baptizo is just an anglicized version of the Greek word. The correct tra to translate it, it should be translated immerse. In Christ, we put on Christ. If you're in Christ, you put on Christ. It's, you know, you should, well, maybe you should show, uh, put labels in your clothes in Christ. So every morning when you get dressed, it's like, I'm putting, I'm putting on Christ. 
Because that's what we're doing. I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, buy some clothes. I mean, maybe buy, do whatever you want. <laughs> maybe put a sign up where you get, wherever you get dressed in your house. I'm putting on Christ. I'm not just putting on textiles, right? I'm putting on Christ. Because I'm in Christ. I've been baptized into Christ. I belong to Christ. Right? It's that, it's that reality. So, so whatever you need to do to soak yourself in the reality that exists when you're in Christ, do it. So then Paul goes in verse 28 that the, the chasms that existed in the ancient world are gone in Christ. The chasm that existed between Jews on one side and Greeks on the other, gone in Christ. In the family of God, Jews and Greeks are together. It's beautiful. One of the wonderful things I watched this week on YouTube was Jews and Arabs worshipping Jesus together in Hebrew and Arabic. Beautiful, beautiful. What a glorious picture of this great reality, the fruit of what Christ is doing. On one side of the culture, there was two classes in the ancient world. There was the slaves and the free. And you were either in one or the other. And so now in the church, they find slaves and free together in the same room. What are you going to do? Rejoice is a good response. Okay. In ancient world, men on one side, women on the other side, in Christ, together. You see, it's not that you stop being a male or a female. It's not that you stop being a Jew or a Gentile. It's not that you stop being a slave or a free. But it's like in Christ, there's a whole new reality that God has created that is not defined by the way the culture is speaking to us, but it's defined by being in Christ. Can you get excited about that? That's good. That's good. Because we are all one in Christ. That is the reality. Okay, and some of you really need to hear this this morning. Some of you are already living this and some of you need to get it. You belong to Christ. You are Abraham's offspring and your heirs. And so this is why, this is why in the body of Christ, in the body of Messiah, there's no room for misogyny. There's no room for the abuse of women. And very sadly, Christian men have, have used scriptures like if Paul's instructions of hus- wives to submit to their husbands to demand it. And they've ignored the, the previous command to submit to one another out of reverence of Christ and they've ignored the fact that men should be lo- husbands should be loving our wives as Christ loved the church. There's no place for that in the body of Christ. In the body of Jesus, we treat one another as Jesus treats us. And Jesus is not a misogynist. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are not misogynists. They bestow equal worth on males and females. I want every woman to hear this this morning and I want every man to hear this this morning. 
in the church, men and women, both are restored images of God. To image him by the way we relate to one another. In the, and let's go back to the other categories as well. In the body of Messiah, we don't relate to one another on, on racial categories. We're in Christ. That's, what, that's it. No matter the colour of your skin, your ethnic, ethnic background, I mean, in Christ, it's, we're one. It doesn't matter about the socio-economic, I'm on welfare, you're a multimillionaire. Great, we're in Christ. That's the status. We have equal status in Christ. This is what Paul is saying here. This is what we are to live. This is what we are to proclaim to the powers and the principalities. That all of the walls that divide and separate are broken down in Christ. And this morning we've been particularly looking at misogyny. In Christ together we delight in God. And we delight to reveal God. And together we put on Christ. Oh, that the church, that this church, but that every church would be a sanctuary from strife. A sanctuary from strife. I praise God that we are that in some measure. I praise God that when people come in in amongst us, there's a feeling of safety. There's a feeling of security. It's a feeling of being at ease. But we want that to spread throughout their whole region. I want us to close this morning with some prayers of repentance that will come up on the screen behind me just one slide at a time. And I just invite you to pray along with me please, with these. If you want to, this is always entirely voluntary. No one forces you. But if you want to make a response this morning, that's my invitation to you. Would you pray this first one with me? Our Father in heaven, I want to repent and turn away from misogyny and misandry and feminism. And so I ask Holy Spirit to help me do this. God, search my whole being and expose everything in me that is contaminated with misogyny and cut it out of the root. We'll just pause there for a moment. This next prayer is a prayer of repentance for males and we'll pause at the end of each of these slides. So this is one for all of the men to pray. I invite you men to pray it with me. God, I repent and turn away from expecting, requiring and demanding submission from females, either actively or passively. I ask you to expose this and cut it out at the root. And now prayer of repentance for females. I invite you, the females, to pray this prayer. God, I repent.
This next one is a prayer releasing forgiveness. Let's pray this. God, because you have forgiven me, I forgive the following people and release them into the freedom of my forgiveness. And it's different faces or names come to your mind. Just speak, just whisper that out. I forgive you. I release you into the freedom of my forgiveness. A prayer for deliverance. Let's pray this together. God, deliver me and my family line from generational iniquity, sin and transgression that has come from misogyny, misandry and feminism. And we'll close with a prayer to strengthen us in our identity. God, I ask you to strengthen me in my new identity in Christ Jesus. Your word says that I have been immersed into Christ, that I have put on Christ, that I am Abraham's offspring. Thank you that your word declares that I am in Christ forever and ever. Thank you that Christ has triumphed over the power of misogyny and the end of evil is certain. Holy Spirit, fill me with courage and boldness to live fearlessly every day for your honour and glory. Amen.